Hello everyone and welcome to episode 309 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is a guest that needs no introduction. I'm joined by the absolute drumming legend, Dave Lombardo. A dream guest for me. I say this many times on Mark and Me, but it really is. Think about it. He's been in Slayer, Misfits, Mr Bungle and Empire State Bastard, who are touring as we speak right now, and for me, have given us one of the best albums of the year. What an amazing band. And this follows on really nicely from episode 300, when I was joined by Simon Neal, the frontman of Empire State Bastard. But today's episode, it's honestly one of my favourites. Dave is an absolute legend, and I'm so grateful and glad that I've been able to get him on the Mark and Me podcast. But in true typical Mark and Me fashion, just before we get to the interview, let's look back and talk about my last episode. On episode 308, I was joined by Adam Lazara, the frontman from Taking Back Sunday. Another great guest, another great interview, and the response was amazing. So thank you to everyone that listened. It really means the world. But today, it's all about one man, Dave Lombardo. And I think the best thing to do is to get straight to the interview. So here's me and Dave talking all things music. So Dave, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Thank you for having me. Dave, what I do with every single guest that comes on the show, it doesn't matter if you're an actor, a director, or in a band, you always get the same first question. Uh, when you were growing up, what was that first album that you remember having? Maybe you bought it with your pocket money, or it was given to you, that made you fall in love with music? Um, well, I don't, I don't think it was one particular album. I think I had fallen in love with music at a very young age while attending, you know, parties with my parents and watching bands play. And, and it wasn't rock bands or, or anything like that. It was, you know, Latin jazz bands or, you know, Cuban salsa bands. And watching those performances at a young age and watching, you know, how much pleasure those musicians got out of playing on stage and watching people, uh, on the dance floor enjoy themselves i think that was a trigger and a moment for me to you know to embrace you know this career even at that young age it's all i wanted to do was was play drums uh but i mean to um to play drums in rock music i believe it had to have been um Kiss and the album was Kiss Alive. You Amazing. know, the very first Alive album. And I think that album harnesses, uh, you know, excitement of a live show. I don't know what it was, uh, the way it was mixed, you know, the excitement of, of the crowd. Um, and, and you can hear that on that record. So I, I, think, I think it had to have been that one that really solidified my direction. And what about live music? So I'm 41. Uh, one of the first gigs I ever went to, I remember my parents dropping me off, was Green Day. 
uh, is on their Dookie tour. So they're really young. MTV2 was showing them all day, every day. And it was just incredible to be there. But I couldn't believe how incredible they sounded, even though there's only three people on stage. I was like, this is unbelievable. One guitar, one bass, one drums. But it made me want to be in a band. It made me want to pick up a guitar. It made me just want to do that for the rest of my life. And I wondered, was there a band that kind of did that for you? Or was it later on in life? Um, actually, uh, uh, no, there wasn't, you know, any particular band. Uh, I believe I was playing drums. I had a drum set and I was, you know, jamming with local musicians, I think from the age of 13. Uh, and I don't think I went to my first concert until I was around 15, uh, and that first concert was Ted Nugent headlining wow. and Scorpions and Scorpions were opening up. Uh, and that was, that was a real treat, you know, that's a hell of a first gig, isn't it? When you think about that, those two as your first <laughs> yeah. live experience of a band, like you didn't start yeah, small, Ted did Nugent. you? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is way before the political Ted Nugent. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so this is, you know, I remember him, uh, um, swinging on stage you know on some kind of a vine and uh and in his you know in his little bikini or <laughs> loincloth or whatever he was wearing at the time and you know it was awesome he's, he's a fantastic guitar player uh but like i said that was way before you know uh you know any, anything like what's happening today so what was the moment in your life when you thought, I know you said you were playing drums at a very young age and that's all you wanted to do, but what was the point when you thought to yourself, I want to actually really do this and I'll tell my family that this is the road I'm going to take, you know, as some parents, they might look down and be like, it's their biggest nightmare when their child turns around and says they want to be a film star or a rock star, but were they supportive? Yeah. Were they like, you can do this, son, we believe in you, you've got a great ability at a young age? Or were they always kind of skeptical thinking, oh, like, is this going to pay off? Uh, they, they were skeptic skeptical at first, but there were little hints that I was excelling in what I was doing and playing along with certain songs that I would buy 45s to, uh, you know, and I'd, I'd be in the living room um, on the family stereo, putting on music and playing along uh, with my, you know, having drumsticks and playing along on the couch, uh, you know, hitting the couch and stuff. And uh, and I remember my mom peeking around the corner in a certain part of the song, and I was just locked in. And she peeked around the corner. I was like, "Wow, that's pretty good," you know. But yeah, I was, you know, reprimanded a couple times for, you know. Uh, um, for for low grades and more interested in music than in my in my studies, you know. Um, but I think it got to a point where they saw the passion, and uh, you know, my mom knew, you know, that I was I was onto something. Uh, after all, she was at one of the Rain and Blood shows, wow. and then my my dad later. I convinced him to go to, uh, it was like probably 88 or 89, uh, to, to a Slayer concert. And, uh, he was blown away. He couldn't believe it. Um, you know, in his 
broken English he was speaking to, you know, the the representatives for for the thimble company, Heisty Thimbles, and you know, in his broken English, explaining to them, you know, Dave was you know this small playing <laughs> playing drums on the on the pots and pans in the kitchen, and now this, you know, and he just couldn't believe it. He was, you know, he had he's he was more focused on working, um, you know, than than knowing what was going on with me, and uh, so. He was surprised. He was surprised and blown away. And still to this day, the symbol company, Eric Peisty and the Peisty family still, you know, on occasion remind me of that moment and how cute it was, you know. You mentioned then Rain in Blood. And in 1986, you were lucky enough to record with Rick Rubin, who I think is probably one of the best producers of all time. The fact that he can do every genre and it sounds perfection. I wonder what it was like kind of working on an album at that stage of your life probably so young and still kind of naive and exploring the world but working with such a genius that got the best sound from you guys that you could ever dream of well first of all his his book is amazing i've got I it it's, it's amazing i try and not read yeah. it all at once because i want to save it so i read a couple of pages and then put it down because i'm like i don't want this to end yeah uh, but luckily we have a lot of his, you know, his podcast yep. now is, uh, you know, full of wisdom uh, and some of his, uh, you know, posts on Instagram uh, are, are just, it's, it's so valuable. Some of those, um, you know, uh, quotes, are, it's like a, a little piece of gold. It's like a diamond and um, it helps working with him. I remember he was always present when I tracked drums. Yeah. He was, he was to me, he, when I would like to, let's say tracking for, for South of Heaven or Rain and Blood or, or Seasons, he was always there and he would always tell me, uh, he always suggest, hey, Dave, you know, try this, you know, try, uh, try to, tease the public that there's another section coming up in the song with a drum roll and but don't go into you, you're not going to go into let's say the chorus uh just tease and then and then give you know the the big drum roll you know right before the chorus you know building tension and excitement he had this really you know innate understanding of music and feeling which is i think more valuable than um than than education and music because yeah. if you could deliver something based on feeling um i i think you've you've captured the attention of the listener uh so so much of his input during that time for me was uh, was valuable and and I still use you know a lot of his ideas uh you know it's it's marking it's on those records um he inspired me he was like a cheerleader in the uh in the monitor room you I was know, gonna say did it feel music. like an extra, I was gonna say did it feel like an extra member of the band because he was there kind of giving you ideas and probably open up your mind to taking on new ideas that perhaps you may have not thought of yourself. So you need that guidance and trust in him, but he delivered. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he delivered for sure. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, 
And also, you know, and not only, you know, with his inspiration, his ideas, his, uh, uh, his enthusiasm, but I think also uh, the fact that he has worked with so many, I think the marking moment for me and kind of started, started my, my path uh, towards being more of a solo solo drummer you know instead of yeah. only staying within one band i wanted to work with many musicians uh different musicians uh because i, I really love the collaborating aspect of of music um i think watching him uh juggle uh, a mixing session between Slayer, Beastie Boys, and Run DMC <laughs> in New York City. That blows my mind. That blows my mind, you know? When you were there in the room, yeah. There's a photograph of Run DMC, Beastie Boys, and Slayer, Rick Rubin, and George Draculius, which was his assistant at the time, and later became the producer of the Black Crows, uh, the, the famous album that, that they, you know, put out, you know, the real popular yeah. album. Um, and I, I can't recall the name right now. But anyways, you know, at that point, it's like, wow, I want to work with other musicians. You know, if he can do it. Hmm. So he planted that seed in my mind. Um, you know, then later it was when I met uh, Mike Patton, that solidified that because he was, you know, very diverse and, yeah. and you know, work with many musicians. So, um, yeah, inspiring, very, very inspiring. That guy is just, uh, he is a national treasure. Looking back on your time with Slayer, and it must seem quite a long time ago now, but did you ever, because you were such a big part of it from such a young age, were you aware being in the band of how you were progressing over time, were you able to ever take a step back and see these crowds getting bigger? The support slots were now you being the main act, more t-shirts were being sold. The venues were bigger. Did you actually ever get to witness that or was it too much of a whirlwind that you were too caught up with it internally? Um, I was caught up in my own personal turmoil. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of it, I really didn't see. Um, or, you know, uh, or, you know, really sense the magnitude of, of what the band was doing. Uh, but, you know, now looking back, I do, but at the time, you know, you, you really didn't. Yeah. You saw it get bigger and bigger, but, you know, there were at that time, uh, there were a lot of questions uh, but then there were times where, you know, I just went with the flow. I just, uh, um, just didn't, uh, didn't care. Just, just, you know, just played and just enjoyed the ride. If you, if you had your time again, would you have done the final tour or would you go back if they asked you to do a, I know it'd be absolutely psychotic now of those to announce another tour, <laughs> but if they did, yeah. would, would you, would you be on board? You know, I, I really don't want to answer anything like that because, you know, what, what ends up happening is that the focus right now would be Empire State Bastard and my future. Yeah. Uh, and the future, which is 
I think a big part of my personal success is that I don't look back. Um, I'm always striving to to better myself musically and in you know in, in every every way possible. Uh, and so you know answering a question like that sometimes takes away of what of course what our focus is on right now. So respectfully, I'm going to have to decline. Hey, that that's absolutely fine. And uh, <laughs> let, let's talk more about today because, you know, when I want to talk to you, there's a lot more than just Slayer that we want to talk about. But I was really intrigued with Mr. Bungle on your first meeting with Mike, because he is a genius. I'll say that, you know, he's an absolutely incredible human being. And I really hope we get to see them in the UK because... I had tickets for Faith No More and it got cancelled and, you know, hopefully it's not too long until we get that. But I was wondering what your first experience was on meeting him and then getting the chance to work together. Uh, wow. Uh, meeting him for the first time. Uh, I remember seeing him for the first time. Yeah. I was at Day on the Green this had to have been late 1991 in San Francisco and uh, they were sound checking and he had a bondage mask on at sound check. <laughs> in uh, sound check, not even know, for the main performance. <laughs> with, uh, I think it might, I think it might've been sound check. Uh, That's amazing. And he, uh, he was wearing this bondage mask, leather bondage mask with a, uh, with a bathtub plug <laughs> so when he would sing <laughs> so when he would sing he would take off the bathtub plug and start singing <laughs> this is incredible and then uh i met him personally i think it had to have been uh it was faith no more's last show uh last tour last show it was in la Los Angeles, and uh, I ended up backstage hanging out, talking with the band. Oh, because uh, I knew Puffy, yeah. uh, the drummer, and uh, Mike Borden, and he uh, uh, invited me, and I met Patton, and at that time, I was already out of Slayer, and uh, and he, he picked my brain about music, and uh, he just simply asked me about my current band at the time, which was Grip Incorporated. And uh, he says, it's like an avant-garde band. And I'm like, hmm, kind of. You were a little <laughs> experimental, but, you know, it wasn't to that extreme. Um, and uh, maybe a year later, he, you know, he, he gave me, you know, gave me a phone call and, uh and asked me and explained to me about uh, Phantomus and uh, he explained the music and, and and asked me if I would like to, you know, participate. And, you know, during that phone call and the conversation and the way he was explaining the music, uh, I understood. And uh, from that point forward, I think that opened that moment and that music um opened my mind to that it that it was okay that made it acceptable to be different and to challenge the listener and you know express yourself in any way you want not following any genres or you know break down genre walls 
uh, in corporate like Rick Rubin, you know, did, you know, he, he, he dabbled in, in different genres. And, you know, if you could dabble in different genres and then musically as a musician, you should be able to meld, you know, uh, uh, genres together and create different styles and, and, and approaches to music. So he definitely patent solidified that for me. And from that point onward, I've, I vowed to, to continue this, you know, this uh this approach of collaborations with with musicians it, it must be amazing i sometimes think how does your brain focus that you must have such a range of different people you work with that you must be like a robot that needs to switch on to like right now i'm doing slayer now i'm doing misfits now i'm doing mr bungle now i'm doing empire state bastard like i don't know how you do it but it must keep you on your toes, always wanting more, always hungry, and always working with different people, which must be the best part of being someone creative. Yeah, yes, absolutely. I think working with different musicians, collaborating, uh, enjoying, you know, where you are, you know, let's say, for example, uh, you know, with Empire State Bastard, you know, I got to spend, you know, some amazing time in England. And, uh, and rehearsing in Todd Morton, uh, and 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 visiting all these different you know smaller cities of England, and it's been it's been amazing and so much fun uh, hanging out with them you know going to the pubs you know late night after rehearsal it, it's just ah oh, it's I love it so that's that's always you know a big part of the collaboration process it's not just showing up for rehearsal. And then everybody goes off to their hotels. You know, we actually uh, uh, rented an Airbnb, uh, you know, a, a home in the middle of uh, in the countryside. And it was beautiful. It was awesome. And we got to hang out, relax, you know, after rehearsal, we had some dinner, had a couple of pints, a great conversation. Everybody went to their rooms. You know, the next day, breakfast, coffee, you know, and it's, you know, you get to really know each other and know who you're dealing with as, you know, with your personalities, you know, which is really important because, you know, sometimes there's surprises, you know, when it comes to, you know, working with other musicians and you're like, whoa, where'd that come from, you know, and, and make you wonder of the stability. But so far, you know, it's been awesome, you know, with this band. I, I want to talk mostly Empire State Bastard. Simon Neal, for me, is probably one of the best songwriters in the world. I really, truly mean that. Um, he's an absolute god, and that's why I got him on episode 300 of Mark and Me, because genuinely, he's my idol. I think what he does is just, it blows my mind. So on that episode, he talked to me about how he reached out to you on an email. Him and Mike kind of sent the email as kind of a bit of a joke, like, imagine Dave Lombardo doing this. And then while they were demoing, they even called the drums Lombardo as a, a dream, yeah. a fantasy. And I'd love to hear it from your perspective of what it was like when that email came through, because you must have so many requests. And I wonder what that moment was like that made it kind of stick out for you that took note of this. Well, at that at that point, we were, I think, mid-pandemic. Yeah. And uh and and I was surprisingly very busy. Um, but it was a different, you know, 
uh, busy. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, traveling, you know, from one country to another or, you know, schlepping a suitcase through the airport or taxis or anything like that. Uh, I, I was at home. I was in my studio and I was working on on several different projects. Uh, I had worked on, I had ended up being a, a performer on one song for Satanic Planet. And I ended up playing and producing all of the songs. Uh, so that was one project. I worked on uh, Annihilator uh, on their album Metal 2. I recorded that at home. I uh, worked on a movie soundtrack with uh, Phil Eisner. And uh, it, it was called Thunder Force with Melissa McCartney. And um, do you ever sleep, Dave? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I have to get myself out of bed, man. Wow. I do know I get plenty of rest and I spend a lot of time with my wife, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and oh, also, and I have a, a, a project, a band called Venomorous. Uh, with your wife? Uh, with my wife, Paula, which yes. is more rib shots, very mellow. It's beautiful. Um, beautiful ballads singer songwriter and and i'm producing it and we're just having a fun time doing it so yes i i do sleep i do spend time with my wife and um and so i, I was working on all those projects and then uh i i, I had told my wife because she's kind of like my buffer between emails and requests and and social media it's i kind of stay away from all of that um, so she hit me. I, I told her, I said, I cannot take on any more projects. I'm done. I, I'm like, <laughs> up to here. you know, I felt like my brain was just going to explode with everything I had to do and, and all the music I had to deliver, which there was no complaints because I enjoyed every moment of it. So the so, email, so you are in. human after all, you're not a robot. Am, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. There. Now that's a headline. That's the one. <laughs> Dave Lombardo is actually a human. He's human. And, uh, so, so the email came in. Uh, it, it went. It went to. It went to Paula, and uh, recommend through Ipecac. So, uh, Mark Mark Shapiro is is the product manager for for Ipecac, and he he worked with Ocean Size for a yeah. period of time. So it went from Mike and Simon to to Mark Shapiro, Mark Shapiro to my wife Paula. And at that time I told Paula, no more gigs. I cannot take on another project. That's it. And that was like two days prior to the email coming in. And um and so she heard it and she said, Hey, there's something that came in from from Mark. And I said, I said, babe, I can't. I can't take anything else on. She said, you really need to listen to this. I said, what? And I've never heard her, you know, express. Of course. Yeah. Know, that kind of, you know, you know, uh, excitement, you know, for, for any music like that. And uh, she said, you, you really need to listen to this. I said, really? She says, yeah, check this out. And when I first heard it, I, I was captivated not only by the vocals, uh, by the music, the songwriting, uh, but the tone, 
of of the guitars yeah uh the odd time signatures which i really uh i've dabbled in odd time signatures but being thrash metal everything is in straight four four there's an occasional six eight but for the most part it's four four thrash beats and and that's it so this music um blew me away by you know it's it's the the offbeats and and you know the counter rhythms and and the guitar tone and the vocals the melodies the song moi for me is a masterpiece uh as well as the looming i'm not you just know, saying it, this now i said to someone when i was doing the interview i've been walking around the house when the album came out saying it's always someone yeah. else's fault and it was yep. embedded in my head and before Me i did too. the interview for that whole week i was just whistling it or humming it and i was like i didn't realize how impactful that little line is but it just stayed there and grew and grew and i was like yeah i need this album now and then luckily yeah. two weeks later we got the album but my god yep. that melody was there yeah yeah there you genius. go that genius. is key genius the melodies are so important you know um and that's what most people get hooked on and and that was a big part of that album when i heard the demo i was like man these hook lines are amazing you know and which is rare when it comes to a hardcore band there are some but not as well done as this you know as as empire state bastard so not only, like I said, not only the vocals, not only, you know, the music in general, uh, uh, the sound, but the melodies, uh, Simon's voice. It's beautiful. It's brilliant. The fact that he could scream, you know, you know, from, from, oh my, excuse me, uh, you know, the screaming and, you know, his voice, the aggressive voice, uh, and then going back to the more, uh, uh, you know, the more the softer ranges, and, and it's just genius. So yeah. that pretty much sums it up there, you know. And, and and I immediately went back to them and I said, "I'm into it. I love the music." And uh, and then I researched uh, the musicians, and uh, they were reputable, beyond reputable, you know. And and they're they I I believe in it and. Uh, it's hard for me to turn down something that not only has a brilliant quality, but I also believe in it. And I think that makes it uh, even a stronger package, you know, when everybody on board um, has, you know, this positive, you know, approach and um, attitude, you know, towards the band and, and the, and the musicians and, and respect for the music and its integrity and it's just uh, phenomenal i love those guys i'm looking forward to seeing them when i not long now not long no no and yeah. i suppose when you said you then you looked out to make sure you know they're legit and look at their musicianship and their back catalogs and stuff were you aware of biffy claro or ocean size up until then i was aware of biffy claro but not aware of ocean size I had heard of Biffy Clyro because of the 
you know, the amount of times I've been in Europe and in the UK and, you know, looking at the download posters, all, you know, the Glastonbury posters, and you look at the names of the bands and, you know, Biffy Clyro sticks out, you know, I'm like, wow. So I, I had heard of them. But had yes. you actually not heard them actually on record? No, no, wow. until recently. So that must yeah. have been amazing because I've yeah, been a fan but... of that band for over 20 years. And... and then and then I saw some of their, their live performances, uh, uh, you know, uh, when was it, it had to have been the end of 2019 and maybe even 2021 or 22, they were playing some shows. Uh, I, I think, yeah, I think it might have been 2022. Um, I saw some of their live performances online and, you know, it's just amazing. Unbelievable. So they get this email back. It must feel like Christmas for them because they were kind of having this dream and this fantasy. But then you hide out this Airbnb and you did it like a band that are just starting, you know, like a student band might do or a band that are just trying to do their first EP. You took it right back to the roots. And isn't that glorious? And instead of you all flying out to LA and having this incredible lifestyle, you took it back to the the raw elements of just getting to know each other. And I think that surely is part of the magic that made the album so special and the, the, the friendship and the, I don't know, like the family feel for you guys. You're not just a normal band. You're you you've come from all different backgrounds, but you've come as one now. Yes, I I I have to agree with that. But one thing I might have to make a little correction, and I'm not sure you know that I recorded that they sent me the stems to the music, and I recorded everything at home, and I sent the the yeah. you know the drums back, uh, and that was in 2020, and then we didn't meet until early 2022. That's mind blowing. Yeah, so, yeah. So we had been communicating via text, social media, and uh, um, emails, you know, from t- 2020 uh, through 21, 22, until we finally met in 23. Uh, I didn't know who the bass player was going to be until uh, we got on a on a Zoom meeting. Before I, you know, flew out to uh, to the UK to meet them for the first time, and uh, it, it was it was funny because uh, Naomi she was nervous. She said, "Oh my God, here I am on a Zoom call with Biffy Clyro and members of Biffy Clyro and Dave Lombardo from Slayer." You know, and so she was she had her moment of nervous, and we were we were all nervous. We were. Actually, we were giddy and happy when we st- when we saw each other, and we were like, "Yeah, here we are!" <laughs> you know, it's real. Uh, it's actually happening. Yeah, it's like actually real. It's happening, and and you know, everybody was just we could not stop smiling, laughing, joking, and having a good time. And uh, I think that set the band off on one of the best, you know, momentous moments of 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 our careers you know and and here we are just uh looking forward to every moment we get to to play on stage together because it's always epic it's always exciting you know that first performance at download festival when you guys had only released i think one or two songs online that was it um what did it feel like going to that festival and not being on the main stage with slayer or not being with part of misfits like going and being on the smaller little tent and 
no expectations. People were coming in like, it's Biffy Clyro, it's Slayer, I don't know what to expect. That yeah. must have been like a return to your early days and it must have felt so nostalgic of like, yeah, let's win this crowd over. Well, that's always, that's, that's number one when you go on stage. Let's win them over. Let's blow away every band that was before us and that's after us. You know, at, at least that's my mindset. Um, it doesn't, for me personally, I feel it, it, it doesn't matter where I play. I don't care where I play. I'll play the small stage, big stage, small club. It doesn't matter to me. As long as I'm playing, that's where the excitement is. I think it's almost, it's more fun and more exciting to play in front of a small crowd than it is for a bigger one because you see the expressions on their face, you know, you see their excitement, you know, you see also the changes, the shifts in the music and how that affects the human mind. You know, if we go into this, we break it down in some kind of halftime beat, whatever you see the people getting into it. When you go into some kind of thrash beat, you know, you see it right there. You're not relying on this circle pit, you know, you're, uh, you, you actually see the look on their face. So it's so much me, more it, intimate, isn't it? Because there's not such it, a barrier, you know, the main stage is you don't realize until you stand on it and look out the divide between the crowd and the band is so it's ginormous, but then you go into these little tents and it's like Simon can literally touch the person on the front row yeah. by just extending his yeah. arm. And I love that intimacy. I love the yeah. feeling of it just being too hot and just being like, the energy feels yeah. like on, yeah. on another level to anything else. I agree. I agree. We played uh, Brooklyn, New York recently, and it was a small club. I, it I was, saw the video footage. It was tiny. Holy shit. And, but it was so much fun. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. In <laughs> you know, I was like, I need, I, I don't like fans on stage, not fans as in, you know, people, but as a, Wind. Yeah. I don't like fans. It, it, I don't like it. It doesn't feel good on my body when I play. I rather perspire, you know, sweat and and just get into the moment. But that night, I went into this double bass section in one of the songs, and it's you know it's a lengthy piece. By the time I finished that, I was like, there is no oxygen in the air. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't take a breath. It was just nothing. And so I looked over to. Uh, to my drum tech who wasn't behind me because the club was so small he was in the crowd you know watching me i said i need a fan <laughs> you gotta get me a fan man because it was so hot but shows like that i think really um I, I i think those kinds of performances show the level of musicianship passion and love for music because a lot of I believe a lot of musicians would go up on a stage like that and, and make all kinds of demands. And, you know, it's like, and we didn't care. We just went up there and we thrashed like it was like we used to do, you know, when we were kids. So it's the first it's thing yeah, it's the first thing I knew when I saw your band play for the first time. There's no egos, even though there's bands there and members of bands that have headlined Download Festival, played all across the world, played with Guns N' Roses and Metallica and all these incredible experiences. You're also a band that just want to go and perform and have fun 
and enjoy it. And there's not many musicians in that band history and statuses that would let their egos go and just be like, yeah, let's go and play a small tent in front of 200 people. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, there's another artist, there's very, very a massive bass player named Steve Harris that goes out with British Lion and will play small club and will demand that there isn't a barrier between the band and, and, uh, and the fans. And I heard that and I was blown away. It's like, yeah, there you go. There's the passionate one in the band. There's the one, there's the guy that gets it. And, you know, and, and that's commendable. I, I, I love that in musicians that, that aren't, you know, pretentious or, you know, you know, think they're better than everyone else and can't play a small venue or, or a little pub. You know, what we've had, we've toyed around with the idea. There's a, uh, uh, I think it's called a golden lion in Todd Morton, uh, where we stayed, you know, one of the very first times, uh, well, the very first time that we got together, we said, Hey, we should have our first show in this tiny pub. <laughs> I said, let's do it. Come on, man. And, uh, and we were this close. We, we even looked at the stage and, you know, we saw the PA, which wasn't much, you know, and, uh, but it, it didn't work out. It didn't work out. Terrify but, all know, the locals. One day. And, and then, you know, sometimes we're out and about on a day off and we're like, hey, I wonder if there's like some kind of jazz club that has some kind of, you know, it's, uh, you know, like free, you know, anybody could come up. And, oh, like an open mic know, night. Open mic night. Yeah. You know? And we do a little surprise. Like we don't say anything to anybody. We just go up there and just do our thing, you know. So we're always on the hunt for a place like that. Well, know? that's it now. Now when you're playing the UK in a couple of weeks, I'll be looking at every jazz club nearby <laughs> Birmingham and Manchester and be like, I wonder yeah. if they're here. Yeah, only if we have a day off and, and it really works out, you know, but Amazing. that would be fun. I would love to do that. And your solo album, uh, Rights of Percussion, your debut solo album, and what yeah. made at this point of your career think, do you know what, let's strip it back to just me um time <laughs> uh 2020 opened yeah. up and 2021 you know i was i was living inside my studio and i wasn't just you know noodling with instruments and stuff like that i was learning new software new recording techniques uh i had all my drums at home with me uh, they weren't in storage or, or, a, or a particular band's storage unit. You know, everything was at home. All my percussion, all my bells and whistles, everything. And, uh, you know, that allowed me to, you know, that period allowed me to be creative and and do what I've always wanted to do, which was create just a drum album uh, with only consisting I, I feel drums are a very musical instrument even though they don't have you know keys yeah. you know notes or, or strings or anything like that um i tune my drums uh to certain pitches uh and um and so inspired by one song by um john bonham 
that they put uh, Zeppelin on their last album, Coda. They, yeah. they placed, a, they put a song in called Bonzo's Montro. And not only, and that song was just drums. Uh, and then not only that song, but also the artist uh, Tito Puente, who on, on an album that Patton introduced me to back in, in 91, 92 called Top Percussion. And, uh, and cause I had mentioned to him that I wanted to create a drum record based only on, on Bonzo's Montro. Uh, and then when he introduced me to Tito Puente's uh, top percussion album, that solidified my, uh, uh, my goal to create something like this, but it took long because there was a lot of, a lot going on, you know, that inhibited that process. So now, you know, fast forward to 2020 with time and being in the right place, uh, mentally, um, and, and having my drums with me, uh, that allowed me to, you know, create this body of work and, and Patton's been always behind me. Dave, where's that drum album? Where's that drum album, man? You know? And it's when finally I here, Patton. Here yeah, you go. Like, here, man. I sent him the file, and immediately it was like, well, there it is. And uh, got me in uh, in communication with everybody in his record company, and you know, hopefully, I could put out another one in this. You know, who knows? A couple years. It's so exciting. Do you feel like? There's much left to achieve. You've done so much in your career now. You've done everything and anything. I was wondering if you still had the passion and time to continue your art because in 2015 you had your art book out. And I wondered if you had a follow-up in mind or if there was going to be the right time in your career because we're not going to have another pandemic, I don't think. I don't think we'll have another no. time where everyone gets two years off. <laughs> but would there be a follow-up book, do you think? Do you think there's still time to show the world more of your artwork? Um, I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at one of the, <laughs> um, I, I think, you know, that was more of a photographic approach to, to art. Yeah. Um, but with brushes and paint, that could be a possibility, you know, but, um, I think my, my passion will continue and remain to be music yeah. um i don't i don't see it going uh in that direction maybe but i mean there has to be something a turn of events that will um you know i, I wouldn't be able to play drums anymore you know then maybe i would you know go into that but you know right now i That's want never to... going to happen anytime soon is it yeah no exactly <laughs> so you're not getting any art you know i think so from talking to you now i think that we've got a second solo album not too far away i think there must be ideas being penned i know already from speaking to simon that empire state bastard won a second album out hopefully within the next 12 months yeah, you're not well, you're not you're not gonna have much time off no i don't think so <laughs> i don't think that's gonna happen um you know you never know, but I, I, like I said, when it comes to, to actual uh, art pieces, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to be dabbling in that. Uh, music no. is for me is, is, is on the forefront, performing live and, you know, utilizing these limbs 
for as long as they're yeah they're capable. And uh, you know, the other night I saw you know Mick Jagger and on stage, and I was like, wow, you know that is so inspiring. I want to be eighty one. I want to be eighty five. I want to be ninety and still playing. You know, so but but here's the secret, Dave. He is a robot. He is a robot. He is a robot. <laughs> Eighty-one-year-old robot. How can anyone perform for nearly two and a half hours on set, playing all these songs, dancing at eighty-one? Wow! Wow! That's the headline uh, from this podcast. Dave Lombardo is human. Mick Jagger is robot. <laughs> he is a robot. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, he's. Um... I've always loved the Rolling Stones. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I remember when I was really, really, I mean, I, I I don't think I was in school yet. I have a really good memory, which isn't always good. Um, and I remember my brother having a Flowers, Rolling Stones flower, Flowers album, where their heads were on like, these little flowers on the cover. And I remember listening to those songs and... Um, I, I really enjoyed their music, you know, in, in a way I'm, I'm going to get hated for this. You know, I enjoyed Rolling Stones more than the Beatles. And There's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong I, with that. And then later on, and then later, you know, my career, like I think Slayer had put out, oh, what was it? Seasons in the Abyss. Uh, one of the headlines, uh, or talking points or something that that the publicist put out or maybe a journalist said that metallica were the beatles of heavy metal and slayer were the rolling stones of heavy metal and when i heard that i was like yeah (laughs) (laughs) the best compliment yeah yeah it, it was it was for me it was and so you know you know it's just great it's just great. I, I love it all. My, my final question for you today, and I've asked this to every guest, it doesn't matter if it's been Anthony Hopkins or Mads Mickelson or even Simon Neal, everyone that comes on gets the final question, which is, as this interview is all wrapped up and ready for the world to listen to, I've edited it all, I've mixed it all down, the final piece of music is chosen on the spot by the guest that's on the podcast. So today it's your choice. It can oh, be man. any song by any band or any piece of music or any you know music score but a piece of music or a song that stands above the rest that came to your heart when i asked the question and i know this is not easy there must be ten thousand songs in your head right now trying to whittle it down to one wow simon almost picked the beach boys and then went with um casey musgraves which was a surprise to me but it was all about the melody and an acoustic Nashville singer and he wanted the the beautiful chorus and stuff. And that, that didn't surprise me actually when he said his reason. But I was wondering today what your choice would be. I'm a git, aren't I? We got nine, we got nine minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Uh, really? You're going to do this to me? <laughs> I am. And you're not allowed to email me or message me tonight and pretend that we did it on the episode. This is being recorded. It's going onto YouTube. So it really is a case of a little countdown. Uh, any song by anyone. What's the one that came to your heart and your head and your soul when I asked the question? Something must have entered before anything else. 
the quirky side of Lombardo uh, picked uh, Carl Stalling, composer for cartoons. Uh, but then this other side of me picked uh, Bonzo's Montro, since we were just talking about yes. it. So, you know, one side was like, oh, let's really let's really throw the listeners for a loop and, and throw in uh, something by Carl Stalling. Um, but then another side of me was like, no, how about Bonzo's Montro? So why don't we go ahead and go with Bonzo's Montro? I had um, Silverchair on only last week, and they also absolutely love Led Zeppelin. And both of them were like, we want a Led Zeppelin track, but it's down to five. And in the end, they let me choose one of the songs from the five because they couldn't get it down to just one. Wow. Well, I was always a big Zeppelin fan. And I, I think not just a, a Zeppelin fan, I was in love with the power trio. Yeah. Which for me, you know, my brother turned me on when I was really young to uh, Cream. Uh, um uh, Wheels of Fire, which was a live album, he, and he always used to play uh, Toad, which was the drum solo song that that uh, Ginger Baker, had, you know, would just start going off for like fifteen minutes. And uh, so, trios, you know, Jack Bruce, Eric Clapton, Ginger Baker, Mitch Mitchell. Um, um, oh my God, I can't remember his bass player, and and Jimi Hendrix. Um, and then John Paul Jones, uh, uh, Jimmy Page, John Bonham, you know, Mike Venart, you know, uh, uh, Naomi McLeod and myself, you know, they're these nice. musical rios. Um, I, I really love that. Um, the whole metal, you know, two guitar player, uh, you know, thing is, is cool too, but it's, it's a different animal. Uh, when, when a guitar player goes into a lead, there's no rhythm guitar to help him. You got to rely on that rhythm section. And there's a lot of magic when, when that trio is, uh, is, is in motion, you know, and, and, and playing on stage. And uh, I love that. So anyways, I don't know why I got into that. <laughs> it's beautiful to hear and uh i really truly mean this thank you so much for your time and coming on the podcast it really has been a dream come true i'm so excited for the uk tour um i've already spoke to simon i'll be coming to the birmingham show i'll come and say hello buy you a drink Please. and uh it looks hopefully like simon's doing me a tattoo which i'm going to get to celebrate on my arm for episode 300 okay. of the podcast because he's covered and knows his tattoos work so um yeah i will come and say hello beforehand <laughs> yeah it's funny funny joke you know he's on he's on stage right not a joke funny story he's on stage and we were playing we were playing that small club at saint vitus and uh his back is he's obviously facing the crowd and he's on his keyboard so i get a side view and a back view and i'm like i'm watching it like, oh i never seen that tattoo before I wonder, <laughs> what does that mean oh look at that one. Oh, that's pretty good i can get that you know so I'm like checking out his tattoos while I'm playing on stage. It's funny. Anyways. It's incredible. I can't wait. Uh, yeah, I'll be an honor to meet you. I'll come and say hello. And uh, the show is going to be really excited. But it really, truly means a lot for you to give me your time. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. 
Well, you're welcome and thank you. And uh, looking forward to, to these shows as well. I can't wait. So there it is. There's my interview with me and the absolute legend, Dave Lombardo. Saying it out loud doesn't feel real, but you have just heard the interview. It did happen. It's no make-believe or dream. That really is something that happened on Mark and Me. And I'm so lucky and I'm so grateful. So thank you, Dave, for coming on the show and being an absolute legend and dream guest that I've wanted for so, so long. If you're listening to this interview right now and you still haven't checked out the band Empire State Bastard, please go and check them out. They have their debut album out now. But not only that, if you're in the UK, as you're listening to this, they're just about to embark on some UK dates and they're phenomenal live. I was lucky enough to see them at Download, 2000 Trees and most recently at Arc Tangent and I'll be going to the Birmingham show as you heard and I can't wait. They're absolutely phenomenal and just a group of geniuses and it's so good to see them live. Honestly, it will put them on another level to the record. Also, if you're new to Mark and Me and you've only just jumped on board, cut this interview. There's over 300 episodes sitting there for you to, to dive right into and there's something for everyone. Writers, directors, producers, film stars, honestly, you name it, there's someone on there, I believe, for everyone. And also, if you've enjoyed today's episode, you can also watch it. I've launched a YouTube channel now, so you can go and watch these videos. And so many people have been saying to me for so long, please film them, please get them up there. And the response has been amazing. Simply just jump onto YouTube and search Mark and Me Podcast and you can see interviews on there from so many different people. And honestly, just give it a thumbs up and hit that subscribe button and I'll keep those videos coming for you guys at home. Also, I do have a Patreon account. I can't keep this podcast going each and every month without the support on there. It costs as little as £1 a month and in return you get stickers, a prize pack, each and every month competitions, you get exclusive episodes called The Lost Tapes and so much more. And all the money that goes into that via Patreon goes right back into the podcast and allows me to go out there and record more interviews for you guys at home. It really is about getting you guys at home as much material as I can. I'll be back in only a few days time with another brand new episode and it's a huge one. But just before I go, let's give a quick shout out to Richer Sounds and Folio Society, the sponsors of Mark and Me. Without those guys, I couldn't do this each and every week. And if you're in the market for some new books or a TV or a home cinema surround system, go on their websites and check them out. All that's left to do now is to say to you guys one more time, go and listen to Empire State Bastard. Look after yourself. Take care and I'll speak to you all very soon.